Over the last month, we have been looking at Jesus in his myriad aspects throughout the Bible. Uh, we will end our brief look at Jesus as the Bible does. We are, of course, we read Revelation 19. We'll unpack that passage a little bit more towards the end of this lesson. But as we've gone through and, and looked at Jesus in totality throughout Scripture, he reveals himself through quite the character arc, like any story, right? The, the hero's journey. We see Jesus on this journey, of course, beginning as creator, supreme overall. We looked at that uh, three weeks ago, I guess. And then revealing himself as divine messenger. We looked at Jesus, the messenger, through course, throughout the Old Testament and into, of course, the covenant today. Ultimately, this story, this arc culminates in Jesus taking on human form, which we looked at last week as he takes on flesh in God's plan of salvation coming to fulfillment. And so we come to now. The plan has been accomplished. He became human. He died. He rose for our sins. He has ascended. How does Jesus now present himself in now. And then, of course, we look at the New Testament, which would have been then, for them, in the first years after his ascension. But this is something that carries forward to us today, and of course, ultimately, until he returns, uh, whenever that is. Might be today. Wouldn't that be awesome? Could be today. Could be a thousand years from now. I don't know. But how does Jesus present himself to us as we think about his role in our lives today? Now, Jesus ascended, of course, in Acts chapter 1. He told his disciples, right? They, they come to him. Are you going to now restore the kingdom of Israel? No, it's not for you to know that. And he ascends. He tells them that they're going to be his witnesses. The apostles are going to be his witnesses in Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. I got those out of order. And so in Acts chapter 2, we have the first sermon, first gospel sermon, so to speak, as they are presenting the message of Jesus now. He's ascended. He's given them this job. You're going to be my witnesses, witnesses of Jesus throughout the world as they're going to institute this new covenant of Christ and they're going to establish the church of Jesus. And what do they say, Peter, in this first sermon? How does he present Jesus? Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. David, who was a great warrior, David, who was one of the greatest kings of Israel, perhaps we could say the greatest king of Israel, he died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants upon the throne, David's descendants. David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, the Jesus that is going to be proclaimed throughout the world, the Jesus that gave them their task, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted. That word exalted, we're going to see a lot. At the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not descend into, uh, ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The first contrast between David, the warrior king, the greatest warrior in Israel's history, who conquered Many of God's enemies, of course, beginning with that story of him just as a boy, young man, killing the giant Goliath, then ascends into kingship over Israel, eventually. Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed tens of thousands. And yet, what is Peter saying about this warrior King David? David is dead and gone. And David saw that one would come who would be 
his Lord. The Lord said to my Lord, Jesus is David's Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The contrast between Jesus and David, David obviously was a great warrior, but Jesus is better. More conquering than David ever did. He has been exalted, therefore, at the right hand of God. Philippians 2, 7-11, which we read quite often, but I want to focus on the second part of this. So often we read Philippians 2, and we focus on the attitude that we're supposed to have, right? Humble, which is apt. That's what Paul does, right? Have this mind in yourselves, that Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. We looked at that last week. But what? That's not the end of the story. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Now, there's two ways to look at this should. Every knee should bow now. They should be doing that. We should be doing that, bowing before the name of Jesus. But if we won't do it now, we will eventually do it. Every knee should bow, either now or in judgments. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God has highly exalted him, elevated him, made him superior to everything. Now, this is now, right? This is after the, the death, burial, and resurrection. This is after his mission on earth has been completed. 1 Peter 3, 18-22, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Immersion, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We'll pause there. What is this build-up saying? The comparison between Noah and, and Jesus, between what happened to Noah and what happens to us, right? We've been saved. We've been brought safely through because of his resurrection, because of his victory. We have victory. We've been spared. Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. What does it mean to be exalted? The Father has exalted him. He has elevated him. He has made him special. The idea of exalted, to, to praise, to give glory, to give honor. Jesus, and we looked at this at the very beginning, three weeks ago when we talked about Jesus the Creator. Jesus is worthy of your praise. God has exalted him, so what should I be doing? Shouldn't I be exalting him? Why was he exalted? Because he won. I love that song. I don't think I've ever sung that song before. It is finished. The battle is over. We win because Jesus won. And so, yes, he deserves to be exalted. The language that is used in these verses, that he's at the right hand of God that he is in the most special spot, that he oversees and has authority over all things. When it says that all authority has been subjected to him, that he is in charge of all things. Again, we looked at this when we talked about his creative power, that he upholds the universe. 
by the word of his power. The day, as David says, until I make your enemies your footstool. That's how hot, much higher Jesus is than everything else. That his enemies will be the thing that he puts his feet on. He has accomplished the mission. Thanks be to God for that. Amen. Thanks be to God for that. He's won the battle. He's given us the victory. And so now he has resumed. And I use that word resumed because the idea of him becoming human, taking on human flesh, was a temporary pause in his rightful place. He began as creator, Lord of all, ruler of all. He descends to earth. That's what makes the mission so powerful. Descends to earth, emptied himself, as, as the Philippians says. And now he has resumed his rightful place as ruler and authority. So Jesus is exalted, glorified, ruler of all. He is the victorious conqueror. Right now, as we speak at the right hand of God, over all, in charge of all. Now we come to the last book of the Bible then. The last book of the Bible describes Jesus differently than all the other books of the Bible do. And it's important to note that this is the view of Jesus, that God, as he is planning out the inspiration of Scripture, you think about the, I think about the totality of the, the monumental task of putting together such a document as the Bible, spread across thousands of years, written by so many different people in different places to different audiences that has been collected over the, the, the millennia that God has inspired these words. And this is how he leaves the story, the book of Revelation. This is intended very clearly to be the last thing that God's people are going to be receiving as divinely inspired. And so this is the last impression that we are going to receive of Jesus. And what does John begin? John In Revelation 1, 9 through 11, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God. Uh, he's been exiled there. He's suffering a bit because of his testimony. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. This is the book of Revelation, is the thing that he saw. And then I turned, and I want you to put yourself in John's place right now. You're on the island, you've been exiled, you're just sort of hanging out. I don't know what he does on the island of Patmos. What is he doing? Who knows? But he's in the spirit on the Lord's day. He receives this vision. And in the vision, he turns and he looks. And what does he see? I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were burnished bronze refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. Have you ever been to a waterfall? Have you ever heard a large rushing river? We think of Jesus as this demure, oh, I'm so demure and so meek and mild. His voice was like the roar of many waters. That's not a quiet sound. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. I should have made it, I had an audio clip. I could have played it. Not quiet. In his right hand, he had seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. So you have this being in your mind, this thing that he's describing. 
he hears this voice like a trumpet. He describes it as a trumpet first, and then he describes it like the roar of many waters. This was a, a loud sound. Write what you see. I don't know. It's always deep. Why couldn't it be? I guess roar of many waters is not a, it's not a high-pitched sound. There you go. That's the answer. And he turns and he looks. And he probably, as he turns and looks, he probably has to go, oh, oh, because there's the sun behind him. The face like the sun shining in full strength. And so, of course, what does he do? When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Rightfully so. To be struck by this vision of power and majesty, a sword that's coming out of his mouth. His, his face is shining like the sun. His voice is so loud that it could knock you over. And he literally falls over as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death and Hades. Write therefore the things you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. And then what follows is the book of Revelation, which we won't go into in great detail right now. But if you read the book of Revelation, it's all about victory. There's going to be enemies of God, and they're going to be defeated. And there's going to be suffering, and there's going to be tribulation, and there's going to be trial. And if you're firm and steadfast to the end, you will win. The enemies of God will not overcome the things that God has prepared for us. And that's all the book of Revelation is about, the things that they are about to suffer, the great, horrible difficulty that they're about to face, but that they will conquer through the power of the great conqueror. And so we come to the end of the book, Revelation 19, 11 through 16, which is in my top five verses in the Bible. I love these verses. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. We'll go to the end, or a couple of things. How do we know who this is? Well, he's called Faithful and True. He's clothed, as, he's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and by the name, the, which, the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Well, who's the Word of God? John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There can be no doubt who this is. On his robe at the very end, he has it, and his thigh, his name is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the one we serve. How is he described? His eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems. He has a name written on it that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Whose blood? His own blood. That's the whole point of his mission, that he died for us. The name by which he is called is the word of God, and the armies of heaven, arrayed like fine linen, white and pure, were following in on right horses. So again, we see this vision through John's eyes. He's receiving this divine-inspired vision, and he looks, and he sees and, and I, I don't even know that we can properly understand this. The rider on the white horse leading the legions of heaven's armies. They're away, arrayed behind him. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, which we saw previously. Swords coming out of his mouth. What is that indicating? Power, might, the ability of his words to cut through anything with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. 
On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I don't know what you visualize when you think about Jesus. Think about, you typically, we all do this subconsciously. When, when we think about a thing, there's a sort of a default way that we think about stuff. Could be anything, but Jesus is the same. When I ask you to think about Jesus, you have a vision that comes to mind. I don't know what your vision is. If you've been unduly influenced by Western media, then you think about a white guy with flowing brown hair and a nicely trimmed beard, which is incorrect in so many ways. I really wish that we could just sort of erase that from the face of the earth. You can think about a guy, because that's appropriate too. Not a nice-looking guy, we're told in Isaiah. He's not, he did, when he was a human, he wasn't handsome. Almost certainly didn't have the long, flowingly washed hair, because where did he live? He lived on the road, guys. His hair was not nicely combed all the time, I'm sure. So maybe you have that vision in your mind of Jesus, the human, lowly and meek, which he, he was when he was a human, meek and lowly. He was humble. He was self-sacrificing. Wasn't a white guy, but that's fine. If you want to have a, a picture of Jesus in your mind, the human, but I would really encourage you to try to develop in your subconscious that when you think about Jesus, when you envision him as he is now, that's how he was as a human, but as he is now, he doesn't look like the meek and lowly human anymore because now he has been exalted and put at the right hand of the throne of God. Now he has been elevated above all creation. Now everything has been subjected to him. So when you consider who you're praying to or praying through, when you consider the struggles that you're facing in your life and who you're asking for help, this, this is who leads you. This is the one who helps you in your struggles. And so you're facing difficulty at work, or you're facing difficulty with your health, or you're facing a difficult family situation, or you're facing a horrible temptation. Whatever it is that you're facing, this is the one who helps you. This is the one who can give you victory. Because he is the conqueror. And this should dramatically change how we live our lives. Because the one that we serve is more powerful than anything we will ever possibly face. He has more authority and power and ability. And part of that, of course, is the self-sacrificing human picture of Jesus. The picture of Jesus on a cross who is broken and bleeding. Which is why I think John is seen a vision of a guy whose robe is dipped in blood. That he has been wounded. As the text says, wounded for our transgressions. But that wound did not defeat him. That wound was temporary. That wound which provides the blood that we would be cleansed with. And as we think about Jesus today, we think about Jesus who is the one who gives us victory as we think about the spiritual warfare, we'll end with these two texts in Ephesians 6 and 1 Timothy 6. 
how this picture of Jesus should change our lives. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. His might. The vision of the rider on the white horse who leads the armies of heaven. His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and the cosmic powers over the present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Previously, has been put under him. That all rule and authority has been subjected to him. So as we struggle against these forces of evil, we struggle against forces of evil that Jesus has already defeated. And so we put on whose might? Not my might, because I'm not going to defeat them. I'm not going to win. But I stand strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 1 Timothy 6, 11-12, As for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness of gen and gentleness, fight the good fight of faith, take hold to the eternal life, and then I sort of cut that off, I guess, to which you have been called. Every day you face a fight. I know you're doing it. You're doing it today, I know. Some of us, more than others, perhaps, there are things in your life that you're fighting. Doubts. Fears, temptations, people, pain. You look around and you see what's going on in the world and you have so much anger and sadness. People that we've lost. People that have turned their backs on us. You're fighting a fight today. But only one thing can get in the way of your victory. And it's not the things that you fight. Because Jesus has conquered those things. The only thing that can get in the way of your victory in the things that you're fighting, the things that you're struggling with, is ourselves. When we forget who we serve. When we forget the power that he has given us when we choose not to take advantage of the things that he has put in our lives to give us victory, he has won. And he has shown by his death that he wants you to win too. He'll give you the strength. He'll give you the power. If we come to him and make him Lord of our lives. He wants to give you victory, amen? He wants to as we're going to sing in just a minute, he is mighty to save. I don't know what you're struggling with, but I do know that part of the thing he's put in our lives to help us is each other. You're looking around this room and you're seeing people who are fighting the same fight that you are, who are struggling with some of the same things that you're struggling with. Don't do that alone. Let us help you. I visualize the army of heaven arrayed like white linen behind the rider on the white horse. And do you realize that we are part of that? We're part of that army, and we can help each other. If you're ready to receive that help, come while we stand and sing.